there's no better course. So, and cross country skiing is meant to be hard. Uh, really fun race. And hi, I'm Rosie Frankowski from AP. See, here we have with the hero Bjorn Daly. That's the great thing about sport. Make it rain. Make make it rain. You play to win. It is. I mean, that's that's our sport. So. Toughen up, train harder, and get in that pack and make it rain. Make it rain. Make it make it rain. First of all, make it rain. Make it rain. You see, the critic of air must use air to make a case against air. The fact that he's able to make an argument at all proves that he's wrong. And and from that, I, it's sort of up to me to pick the ones that I really like, which can't be super hard at yeah. I'm sure you have experience with testing two very nice pairs of skis, you know, that they feel exactly the same. Let's go. Ain't no way they can stop me now, daddy, because I'm on my way. I can feel my way. On the back stretch, it is Mellon and Richardson. All right, everyone, welcome to Shovel Lake Public Radio. This is your host, Ryan Cedarquist. We thought we'd bring it back with just old-school classic here to kick off Season 4 of the Cedar Skier Podcast. We know you've been waiting for a long time, and, and actually, quite frankly, I'm pretty nervous because, you know, last year we had a crazy amount of listener growth, um, and by crazy... We're not gonna we're not gonna tell you the specifics of that, okay? Maybe on a show later on. Actually, I think this would be kind of a fun thing to do uh, um, on a show. Is let's tell people um, where the hot spots are. Where are people listening to Cedar Skier podcast? Let's give shout outs to various communities out across the globe. I think it would be cool. We have some of that data. We could share it. We're just we don't we don't really want to point out. Uh, Listening to this show is something that could get you arrested or shunned or kicked out of school or uh, you, you could lose your job if you were to align yourself with the Cedar Scare podcast. So we don't really want to do that quite yet. But once we get Joe Rogan size, I think it's it's OK that we can just start saying, you know, um, where's my sound bites? Do you, Ashley, do you have the sound bites? The, um, you know, good morning, Tacoma or. Um, hello, Baton Rouge, that kind of thing. That would be cool. Um, because those are two places, obviously, where people are listening to the Cedar Skier podcast. Anyway, where was I? Rambling. Um, I'm nervous because we had all this growth, people listening, and then they started emailing me. They're like, "We we want to hear this. What about this? What's your opinion on this?" And it's starting to stress me out. I feel like I need to deliver, uh, better content. I can't really just show up into the studio here in Shovel Lake, Minnesota. At five minutes before the big red button gets clicked and Manny Liriano is softening out the last Fermana, the Minnesota Orchestra, with Rimsky-Korsakov. And then I come on, and, and if I'm not ready to go, I just feel like <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to let people down and then I'm going to get more hate mail. You know, I thought you were this uh, an okay guy to listen to. You used to be exciting. You used to have hot takes that I liked. And now... Look at you now. You are a shell of your former self. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> being that that... Man, I already downed one propel today. I need a second one. Intervals today. First time in a long time. I'm, I'm slow. Running. 
Yeah. Um, I'm opening up the propel now. Anyway, so how did I prepare for this? Well, first, you know, as I said before in my last show, I said we're going to wait until ski season's over. We'll get back to the, you know, wrapping up the previous season. So I did get stay on snow until about May 11th. Um, it was not a great crust skiing season, uh, considering how little snow we had in Leadville. Like, it, it, I mean, it wasn't little, but it was little kind of for Leadville. It, it it stayed for a long time. I mean, like, I, I didn't have to work that hard to, to extend my season to May 11th. It was good that I was able to double pull because, again, without having a great crust ski season, not a lot of smooth snow out there. So there was a lot of double pulling on kind of bumpy old snowmobile stuff or just, you know, not great. So if you're in Leadville and you're like, man, how did you do that or why? It didn't seem good. You know, it, it was a little bit more for the hardcores, the double polers. Now, <clears throat> I maybe missed missed what I should have been doing the entire time, however. Um, I maybe should have been going up to the Molly Mine right away. The Molly Mine, the Climax Molybdenum, obviously, which I've been told by Jacob Hughesby of EnjoyWinter.com that the Climax Molybdenum is not the same. They're not affiliated with molybdenum the ski wax so there is no sponsorship deal there unfortunately um but anyway that location is kind of known for um skinning up skiing down cross-country skiers as well it's a little bit of a you know get get your get get in shape to do this one if you're if you're skate skiing it is a kind of a skate ski only thing although you will be your elbows will be pained to know that i have double pulled up the molly mine to an undisclosed location um, we'll keep that secret, but it's mostly for skating. You skate up into this amphitheater, climbing about 1400 feet or so. And, and then it's very smooth and it kind of has this big area that you can do. I would say anywhere from 3% to 8% extending up maybe 12 to 14% in certain spots, but, um, you can climb up and down. It's great for hill intervals. And it's, and it's, it's kind of fun because, you know, around here, we don't have a lot of spaces where like you are always forced to use, the V1 technique. So I kind of like it actually in the spring. It's, it's a good, it's a good hill climb workout and, and it's fun to whoosh down and feel the old school Idriot, you know, feeling of skiing. But yeah, on May 10th, May 11th, I think it was May 11th. Um, my last day of skiing, I went out with Rose Horning, Cedars Gear podcast guest, throw it out, go back and listen to it. It was great. Rose Horning world junior championships, uh, us ski member, ski team member, um, her sister, Adele, uh, their mom, Christine, <clears throat> Adele headed out to Dartmouth, following in the footsteps of her mother. Um, I think that's public knowledge now, so I don't think I'm like giving anything away there, but best of luck to Adele next year. She is a fine skier as well. Tough as nails, gritty athlete. Um, I love both of those girls. They're great. Uh, I had them in the jazz band at one point. When I was a band director, they were in my trombone section along with their cousin Josiah. Just fantastic. Uh, anyway, we're climbing up this Climax Molybdenum mine, and we get to the point where I thought was the highest point you could really go. You're like, way up next to these peaks and like oh no you got to go up to this next bowl um so we climb this head wall like we're talking 30 percent grades i went into Yvonne bobby cop mode i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna keep skiing here okay i'm not gonna herringbone for as long as i can anyway and um we get up and over oh, up and over this ledge probably another like five or six hundred vertical feet i don't know you can check my strava if you want to verify that but up there there is a massive wide open bowl it is unbelievable terrain uh, obviously the snow is just perfectly smooth you're way up high way up high 12,800 feet um there are some great rock features 
I mean, you can you can just let it rip because it's sort of like a well, it's like a a big skateboarding bowl, you know. So you can go down and up either side. Um, it's crazy. It's very crazy. So next year, if if you've been here but you haven't gone that high, you need to climb all the way up and then keep climbing. That's basically what I'll say. The, the little tunnel entrance, or not tunnel, but like the. Um, it's it, it looks kind of like the X-wing entrance to the the um, the Star Destroyer. No, not Star Destroyer. Oh, gosh, I'm messing up my Star Wars references. My niece Dottie is gonna kill me. Uh, what's the huge the huge planet one? Um, oh my gosh, Ajay, help me out here. <laughs> the Death Star, right? The Death Star, where they go into the trenches. There's a little trench, and you can you climb up that. That's actually kind of the gradual way up a little more gradual you climb up that just keep going okay you'll know when you get there because there's pretty much nowhere farther up you can go okay it's stunning uh on the way down take the trench ride down i did i did that and um you know it was it was kind of like flying out of the death star so that was my last day of skiing ended on a high note it was great and then i thought and i was all stressed i'm like oh gosh now i have to go back and get have a have some production meetings with my dog and go, what are we doing for the show again? Do you have those articles? I don't even remember what happened in the World Cup. Did we win anything? And then Ajay was reminding me, Jesse Diggins won a gold medal, Klabo won 20 races, and it all kind of started flooding back to me. I was like, I, I was like a broadcaster this past year, even. I, at one point, I was um, slinging Yang on Ski and Snowboard.live. Is, what does that even mean? I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, so... We're, we're going to recap some of that World Cup stuff. We've got some awards. I actually have the the preposterous statement of the year, okay? And I have some listener-provided emails with a few nominations I think we'll, we definitely should bring up. And um, and then we're also, we're also going to talk about some relevant brand new ski news, okay, on the show today. And if we have some time, I'd like to discuss... Um, some training as you as you kind of get yourself back into the new year now hopefully maybe you started may 1st like everyone you followed the lemmings who start on may 1st and you you you've already roller skied like 26 days you know good for you right the rest of us were chasing snow for a while and then you take you take a nice couple weeks off and i'm gonna start on june 1st is like my first day i will allow myself to roller ski and i'm pretty hungry this year i'm i'm like kind of excited to get back into it but you know if i start june 4th or like june 7th it's fine there's no need to have this random arbitrary official date and i've had past shows where i've discussed this and i've softened my stance just a little bit on the whole like you shouldn't roller ski in the month of May. If you go back and listen, basically I'll I'll give you the Spark Notes version here. It's like it goes like this: If you are such a good skier that you would be needing to roller ski on May first for like a championship peak that happens ten months later, you probably have access to snow. So why aren't you just skiing on snow? You know, like if I'm Zach Ketterson, honestly, I I would go to the Ben Camp, and that's like kind of right at the beginning of May, right? You'd stay there for two two and a half weeks. I would just like stay there the rest of that month might as well you know who wants to go back to tw- the twin cities and be like you know trying to roller ski there it's crazy right probably but 
Uh, anyway, that's that's what I would do. If I was sort of on that brink of like, I'm a World Cup skier, I'm top level super tour skier, I have access to snow because of certain camps I'm getting invited to. Like, this is the one time in your life, rent the, get the Tacoma, go the Paul, Sh- uh, Sh- um, uh, what's his name? The guy that is the biathlon guy, Shomer from uh, Scholastica. I like that guy. He's got the Tacoma, he's got his dog, and he's going to go find places to train that are cool. That's what you, that's, you might as well do that. Okay. Now, if you're like 32, you're like, you're like Rosie Brennan, then, then you maybe aren't doing that unless, you know, your husband wants to do it or whatever. But Brennan's good enough. She's, she could like, well, she's in Alaska. So again, you have access to snow. You either have access to snow because you're on a national team, because you're rich like Clabo and you go anywhere you want, or because you're a big time skier. So you, you already live in a place like Alaska or Norway where there's snow 10, 11 months of the year. So the, I guess the, that's my point. Now, who am I leaving out here? Well, I'm leaving out all these, all those people who decided to live in Vermont, okay? But, like, I guarantee you, Ben Ogden, he is grilling on his barbecue in the back of his truck. He's ripping some mountain bike lines. He's He is aware of the fact that, like, oh, man, getting roller skis out, like, May 2nd? Are you crazy? Like, you might have snow show up a few days later, even in Vermont. We had a crazy winter. So that was kind of the gist of my other of my other uh, other shows saying the May first thing is sort of weird. I, I think it's it's a tradition. It's always been this way, and I think it's kind of dumb. And that's typical for Cedar Skier stuff, right? Like we are going to Pitchfork Nation. It's like why is everyone walking down? You know, look, the wide road leads to destruction. The narrow gate is what you want to go through, and in this case, the narrow gate is is um, staying on snow, taking a few weeks off, getting fresh in June, and, and, and then probably building up your running mileage and pretending to be um, Keegan Swenson okay, for, for a couple of months. There's plenty of time to start getting ready for the Berkey. And that's the next group that I'll now soften myself down to. If you are a citizens racer, you're, you're in the category that kind of encompasses probably all of us, right? You either, you either uh, think, of, think highly of yourself as a very high-level citizens racer, and you're very, very serious about this. You maybe race multiple times throughout the winter, and you are an elite wave or wave one Berkey guy. Um, now, should you be roller skiing May 1st? I think this is still dependent a little bit on your circumstance. If you can't run, you're in a place where you can't bike, and so like not roller skiing May 1st means you're not going to be doing anything, well then, yeah, you should, you should get out and start roller skiing. Okay? So those of you listeners out there, don't be discouraged. I, if, you're, if you've been roller skiing, I'm proud of you because you, it might have been the only thing you could do. Okay, and you're getting better. Also, if you're kind of a newer skier, and maybe this is like your first time roller skiing, I think it's okay now to be playing around in, with roller skis, getting your balance down, going to parking lots, just like testing out the, excuse me, sorry, testing out the agility, doing all that stuff. I don't have a problem with that either. So I think there's a time and a place for it. If, if you're coming off an injury, again, like this is maybe the only thing you can do. I, I think there's a lot of other options still, but if you if you must, you're thrilled about skiing, Again, I won't have a problem with it. So all the people who thought that maybe you weren't going to be my friend anymore, if you've been skiing, it's, it's okay. There are exceptions. I've softened on this rule. Me personally, I have been using my Urkelina trainer. Some people think that might be some people out there. I'm not, I'm not going to say who. Some people have said it. I haven't said it, but some people have been saying it. Um, I've been using the Urkelina trainer. Um, and it's, it's the very best machine out there. It's the, if you want to get fit, some people are saying that you should be following. Okay. Enough with my Trump impersonation. It was deteriorating. Uh, I've been doing my Ercolina trainer at this time of year because you get these like spring 
uh, rains and kind of just unpredictable weather. You don't really know what you're going to get. And, and I find that the Urkelina is actually, it's a little bit of a, it's a way I can itch my ski scratch, you know, wait, that backwards, scratch my ski itch well still refreshing the batteries or recharging the batteries it's it's a, it's different enough like i can watch the nba finals while i am skiing and so i've done that on occasion a couple times here i i don't count that as roller skiing like i'm i'm saving my my carbide tips i'm saving my elbows a bit and i'm just kind of i'm staying at home you know, maybe Ella's on the pavement next to me and I'm checking on her just to make sure she's still breathing. Okay, she's fine. Back to the NBA Finals, back to Ergolina, that kind of thing. Um, anyway, Ajay, how do you feel like the show's going so far? We're, we're, we're 16 minutes in and I've been talking a million miles an hour. I haven't talked about a single thing that people probably came on here expecting to hear. Um, so maybe let's hop right into it. Let's start talking about ski news, stuff that is relevant. And then, and then I promise you, <clears throat> well, well, when we get to once we walk through some of these ski news things, we will discuss. No, Aji's looking at me with she's starting to show her teeth. She's saying, No, get to the preposterous statement tournament. Okay, fine. We'll recap this preposterous statement tournaments coming up next on the Cedar Skier Podcast, Shuffle Lake Public Radio. We're so glad you're here. All right, welcome back to the Cedar Skier Podcast. So, just going back into my notes to find, um, you know, what were some of the awards I was actually interested in, too? I have some notes here. Um, end of year. Male Performer of the Year. I had Female Performer of the Year. Male Race of the Year. Female Race of the Year. Preposterous Statement of the Year. Best Moment of the Year. Best Sport Hill Slow-Mo of the Year. Uh, quote of the Year, which is a little hard. That one kind of could fall into... You know, preposterous statement of the year could almost be a quote of the year. Uh, I, I think it could win both of those. But, you know, sometimes you win two Grammys. Uh, most impressive feat. And that's it. Um, before I read off some of those nominations, though, I'm going to get to a listener email. I've been so excited to read this on the air. This is from Joe Gerard. I think his last name is Gerard. I hope I'm saying that right. It's G-E-R-A-R-D. And um, Joe Gerard, one of the reasons why I'm excited to read this is we are linked in a special way uh, because he also is a longtime K-Fan listener. He, he wrote and said that. So a Minnesotan, right? I think Joe Gerard might be my listener from Duluth. But anyway, the important part is that in, in one of these emails he sent me, he said, um, by the way, I'm a longtime K-Fan listener. If you could get include the horn drop that the common man uses when he toots his own horn, that would be the best. He's also called himself Taco Bell Guy. So he has a moniker, Taco Bell Guy. If you're a little confused, like, what do you mean by moniker? Well, in the common man, um, the noon to three show on K-Fan, which is a major sport, major market sports uh, radio show based in Minneapolis. It's actually one of the most successful sports radio shows in the country. Not the Common Man specifically, but KFAT is. And Common, he is a uh, well, he's an esoteric guy. Okay, you just you gotta you you either love him or you don't. Um, I love listening to his shows. I've been listening to him solid almost daily since 2015, which is pretty much when I discovered him. And he's got this thing where people who write into his show and and or call into his show, they'll ask for a moniker. And it'll be, it's always something guy, you know, Taco Bell guy, um, biker guy, 
uh, Kirby Puckett is my favorite guy. You know, something like that. One of the, one of my favorites, actually, speaking of an athlete, was this um, a goalie for the Wild, I think. No, it was, a, it was a hockey coach for the Wild. I think it was the guy's moniker was like Bruce, Bru, Bruce Boudreau. Bruce Boudreau was my guy before he was your guy, guy. Um, and so when I, I've actually emailed into KFAN before, and, and to kind of bring a ski twist, I said that I wanted my moniker to be Jesse Diggins was my gal before she was your gal, guy. Um, I, I don't think that's ever been read on the air before, but that was kind of my moniker. But the reason he's a Taco Bell guy, I think, goes plays into his email that came before he let me know. Uh, first of all, toot your own horn. So, so I went to some work, did some homework here, and I was like, okay, can I find... A, a good like a horn toot thing and I actually thought maybe I should play this with my trumpet like actually do it so I practiced some different riffs because I am a trumpet player now the problem is is the only time I can record the podcast is literally when Novi is taking her nap so there's no way I'm going to play my trumpet right now but um I did some googling did some YouTube and this is what came up when I when I typed in the toot your own horn this is a real thing it might have to be in the preposterous statement as well as being a sound riff. Uh, Ajay, play the clip. I think that tooting your own horn has been given a very bad reputation. The fact is, is that tooting your own horn is fun, and it's not to be confused with bragging or spewing out your resume or throwing out names of people you know and places you've been. That's very boring. But tooting your own horn is connecting to that thing that you are so excited about and passionate about and what is most exciting you about your life and just sharing it. That's all that it is. And by sharing that energy and that light, you are literally inspiring everybody that you meet. Brilliant. Okay, so when I heard this, I first I thought this was had to be a joke, a parody. This is on YouTube. This is a real thing. And then I was like, that might have to be the new intro for the Cedar Skier podcast. I mean, it pretty much sums up the ethos of this show to some degree. Uh, not done yet, though. She keeps going. Also, don't be afraid to toot someone else's horn. I, I'm, I would not be shocked if people are driving off the road right now, or you know, if you're roller skiing and listening to this, if you crash by accident or just have to pull over and laugh. I'm sorry. Um, there's another clip. Here she goes. So toot for yourself, toot for others, because when you do, you inspire everyone, and that is worthy of a toot. I think that's. I, I, that has to be in there. You know, if we, we could, I, I'm envisioning like a, the intro to our show where we have the sound clips from like Ben Ogden after he gets on his first sprint podium and he'll have some quote, blah, blah, blah. And then we will just play that. And that is worthy of a toot. Uh, but but we did find some different fanfare options. So here, Joseph, I'll let you know. Here's your Here's a couple of choices, okay? So every time we'll mention him, and this is Taco Bell guy. a little long but we could edit it and cut it short to maybe just that first part i mean i don't know why he hit the high note the second time too just overkill for sure um here's another one this one would be fanfare for a dignified occasion so taco bell guy
multiple horns to toot your own horn. Um, and then finally, we could just go with Copeland's fanfare for the common man for Taco Bell guy. A lot more tons of options there, obviously, so I'm sure Taco Bell guy will let me know what he wants. Now, as far as the email goes, here we go. He says, hello, Cedar Nation. Here are a few of my thoughts on the end-of-season awards. Performance of the year for women has to go to the Norwegian women's relay team at Worlds. Taking down Sweden was the upset of the year. Um, I, I don't, I don't mind that. I think performance of the year, women, uh, going to the women's relay team, you know, as far as what I had, uh, women's performance, I'm just going back to my, um, uh, page here, female race of the year. Oh, you know what house I didn't even have, I had performer of the year and then race of the year. So I'll get, I'll get back to mine actually in a little bit. So going back, we'll, we'll, we'll read through his whole email and then we can interact with it. Uh, Slind is the surprise skier of the year and also blue collar hero of the year. I love how he's just entering in all these extra awards, which is great. That's exactly what I wanted, right? We needed more of that. I requested that. If you're bummed that you didn't do that next year, there's always next year. Um, I don't know why Ben Ogden gets so much quote, blue collar accolades. Slind is a true legend. Shestead gets an honorable mention for surprise of the year. Jesse is the obvious choice for female performance of the year. Flawless execution in her 10K at Worlds. The fan favorite of the year award for me goes to Pellegrino. How could anyone root against him this year? He showed what it means to have fun and kick butt on the World Cup. You can't help but smile when you see him living out every skier's dream. Best moment of the year goes to the Norwegian Junior Mixed Relay Team from World Juniors. Did you see the anchor skier donned a Dr. Seuss cat the hat style hat with a kilometer to go in the race? and showed the World Cuppers how to celebrate. Fantastic. No, I didn't see that. Now I need to look that up. That might have to go in like the Sport Hill slow-mo replay of the year as well. That's a, a great moment it brings up. Uh, he ends here, preposterous statement of the year goes to the course designers at Le Rousse. That ski, oh, Le Rousse. Sorry, it's not Le Rousse, it's Le Rousse. Um, that ski jump marching hill was beyond ridiculous. I loved it. Watching the whole field walk up a wall was outstanding entertainment. The second biggest preposterous statement of the year was Sam Smith skiing into the heats at two World Cups as a junior. She doesn't even train for skiing full time. And he continues on here. Best mustache of the year goes to Pertu Hirvanen, hands down. Very inspirational. It's true that Hirvanen looks like a guy if you're like... You know, you call up the, the you move to a new town, you call a mechanic because your car breaks down and the guy who comes over would be here. Vanette. He's just he that's what he looks like. He looks just like an average car mechanic, kind of. Um, and the final preposterous statement of the year is also not a cool. Actually, here maybe belongs in that redneck conversation. Let's be honest or not redneck. What was the what was the thing you said? Uh, blue collar. He maybe maybe he belongs in there with Ben Ogden. Uh, lastly, and the fi- final preposterous statement of the year is also not a quote, but just an attitude of not understanding the allure of Taco Bell. You and your guests were perplexed about why people were lining up to eat at the new Leadville Taco Bell. I couldn't be more excited about it. I might have to plan a road trip out there just to pay homage. I mean, the Frisco TB is good. The Salida TB is great. But having one in Leadville will be an all-time victory for Hungry Mountain Explorers on a budget. 
And with that take, I would like to get a moniker, <laughs> if you don't mind. Going forward, could I be known as Taco Bell Guy? Thanks for the great show. We we love this. This is one of my favorite emails I've got. I love it. I think the thing I need to interact with first is the Taco Bell misunderstatement. Um, him trying to advocate for how great this Taco Bell is for Leadville does feel a little bit like Donald Trump trying to advocate for something like, this is going to be great. Everyone's going to be, they're going to finish up hiking Mount Massive. They're going to be starving. We're going to give them the best tacos, all the tacos they want. They can have as many tacos as they want, all of them, and there'll be one dollar. Everything's a dollar. It's great. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have jobs. We're going to have jobs. Uh, it sounds like... I mean, come on. We don't need a Taco Bell. There are like 17 other Mexican restaurants you can go and and um, give your good. They can provide goods and services for you. OK, and they're they're much better. Like it just bothers me to no degree. Now, I did uh, update on the Taco Bell thing, by the way, and, and what's going on. There's a um, Mexican restaurant family owned across the street from the Taco Bell. Now, this building that this family-owned restaurant moved into, it was really just kind of a eyesore uh, maybe two, three years ago. I'm not really exactly sure of the timeline there, but not long ago. They haven't owned it for very long. It might even be less than that. So they bought it. They opened this taco shop, um, and they have fixed up gradually the, the exterior of it. They added a nice porch, a deck it's, uh, that you can sit at and eat. They've added things to their menu. Um, and in addition to obviously just being consistently good with service, great prices. They have a Taco Tuesday with $1.25 tacos um, and just great menu options and everything. And quick, too. They're fast. We we order them whenever Christie's folks come in. They'll We order them for Taco Tuesday, and it's like immediate. You call them on the phone. Hey, come pick it up. Now, there's a for sale sign outside the restaurant right now. So I don't know. If it's like the whole business is for sale and there's something else or if like Taco Bell drove them out of business. But if it's the latter, that is so sad. Here we brought in some just normal fast food chain that we didn't need. You know, if you had brought in Wendy's, you brought in a Burger King or McDonald's, I'd be okay with that because we don't have any burger option. We don't have something like it. Um, And so to bring this in and then to have everyone... And in our demographic, like, you'd think they'd want to support the community-owned Mexican restaurants. But no, they go to Taco Bell. And the Taco Bell here isn't even open a lot. I think I've said that on my last show. So there we go. Taco Bell. I don't know if I can go with uh, his take there. It is perplexing. It's that. I'll agree. It's perplexing. Okay. Well, actually, he said he's – what did he say about – he? he's – you and your guests were perplexed about why people were lighting up. Yeah, we are. We're, I am perplexed. And I will remain perplexed. Your email did not con- convince me why else. <laughs> but you should come out and visit our Leadville Taco Bell. Yes, uh, patronize it. And you can. it's right by my house. You can come say hi. Um, let's let's go back on some of these other ones too. Preposterous name of the year goes to the course of Zion's at La Rue. And, and I love how he's like, hey, they're going up this ski ski jump hill. It's, it's crazy, but I loved it. Um yeah, this, well, the LaRue weekend, I think, has to probably go down as the best overall World Cup viewing fan experience, competition, just everything. If you had to throw all the things that make a competition great, um, some great upsets, the best players are there, unbelievable course, fun races, um, a little bit of crazy stuff like this, the ski hill, incredible fans, good TV work, you know, like there was a lot of good camera angles there. Uh, LaRue had everything. That that was the best World Cup weekend, um, I think, in my book. So uh, I, I would go with that. I, it, and it is, it, it maybe it was preposterous, though, having them go up that ski jump hill. Personally, I thought, and I'm someone who likes climbs for sure. 
I thought that that part of the chorus added a strange dynamic that interestingly wasn't really used by some of the people who maybe should have, other than I guess you could say Claudel, you know, in 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 certain certain points made made uh made up some time or whatever. I think in it was the interval start that she did really well. I believe it was the interval start that she got second in. Um but I but I was kind of waiting to see if like in the mass start race, that would be the spot where things really went berserk. And I, I kind of feel like I recall commentating that race and kind of just having to get through that, you know, everyone was suffering so much. So I don't know, maybe they needed Ivan Bobikov in there to shake things up and really push the pace. But yeah, I think that was a preposterous element to that fan favorite of the year. Yeah. I kind of agree with that. I have Pellegrino in some of my other discussions, so we'll get to that. But how can you not root against him? And I think I brought this up on another show too, how he's living his best life right now because he's he's over his the point of his career. He's past the point of his career where he's still thinking like, okay, my peak is in front of me. The pressure's on. I'm trying to really get everything I possibly can out of my World Cup career, you know, and he's gotten to taste, he's gotten some medals, he's gotten he's gotten the wine, the women, and the song to the best of the Italian ability, you know, you could argue during this generation, and and maybe even more than he deserved in, in, a, in some regards, just being kind of on top of the sprint game, really, before Clabo came and, and rewrote things. Um, he's almost like, Whoever was the best player before, like Dr. J or Michael Jordan, you know, where it's like, you know, Bob Cousy was still relevant. People who had the athletic equivalent of my dad could be NBA superstars. And then Dr. J showed up and everything was different. Um, that's sort of Pellegrino. It's <laughs> the Nordic ski equivalent. Not at all, actually, because Pellegrino, the thing that's cool is he reimagined and reinvented himself as being a little bit more of an all-around threat to some degree. And these new distances helped him out. The 20K thing is kind of perfect for him. Um, there's some there's some young blood and some experience on the Italian team, um, which I, I think the one disappointment, the relay did not go as they had hoped. But if you recall that, um, I believe it was another Italian Toblock was that where they had the four by ten k relay that was kind of meaningless but ended up being kind of exciting and the Italians did really well. I think that was uh, when Pellegrino kind of stole the show there. Anyway, I remember thinking, oh man, he's got the relay to look forward to. He's got some new distances. Of course, he can shake it up in a sprint maybe as well if he gets lucky. Uh, yeah, he he's got it all and he doesn't have the pressure, you know, because again. He's sort of gotten what he could out of his career. He can be happy about that. Now just go and enjoy the World Cup environment. And um, he's he's a dad, so you know that's that's going to be more important to him. But if you can still be someone who deserves a World Cup start, and he absolutely does, hey, why not? So he's he's struck that great balance, and it's fun to watch. And and he's kind of got nothing to lose. Which I think is why we saw some some exciting moves from him in the peloton, so to speak. You know, at World Championships, um, we saw obviously the the defeat, the the win over Klaba was a great moment. It was maybe the the one of the best, maybe the moment of the year. You could argue when he beat Klaba in that sprint, um, and and I think you you sort of sense that he is trying to bridge the gap for the youngsters to have a have confidence to challenge Clabo because you do almost feel sometimes when he challenges Clabo makes a move in the sprint like I think he did at world championships if I'm remembering right on that hill where everyone broke their Swix Triax 4.0s um you feel like it's a move that doesn't have enough teeth behind it 
you know, like when when he makes a move trying to break away from Clavo, you're like, this isn't for real. It's not quite the same thing as like Ed- Edvin Unger making a move on Clavo. I think you got to take that a lot more seriously at this point. And and I wonder if Pellegrino in his mind, he's like, well, what? A, this is my best chance for winning. So it's a roll of the dice. It's a low percent chance, but it's kind of my only chance. Okay, yeah, I agree. Go for it. And then B, I almost wonder if he is trying to be that guy writing the narrative for other athletes. Like, come on, guys. You got to step out and do this. I'll be the guy. I'll be the sacrificial lamb that blows things up and kind of does something sort of wild. But now you got to you gotta step in and, and take the reins and win the race. Um, because... As much as I loved and talked about the Ben Ogden move where he broke away in the Tour de Ski in that sprint in the semifinals and didn't end up advancing, that that was a seminal, I think it will be a turning point moment in United States ski, maybe World Cup ski history. We will look back on that moment as being as being this key point. As much as I will, I will laud that moment way more than it probably even deserves— that that isn't the way I don't think that Ogden will probably end up getting on the podium, getting into a finals or, or you know, heaven forbid, beating Clabo. Uh, it might be, but I think it's going to maybe require a guy like Pellegrino making that move, Ogden sitting in the shadows and taking down Clabo when Clabo is trying to react. Now, um, so anyway, there's Pellegrino. Now, <clears throat> Jesse... Obvious choice for female performance of the year. Flawless execution, 10K in Worlds. Um, I do want to talk about this. This might be a good time, actually, to just kind of go through what I have as end-of-year awards. Okay, so um, I did not have a female performance of the year. I had female performer of the year. Let's start with that. My nominations were Diggins, and then Tierra Udnes Vang, Ebba Anderson, and Astrid Slynn. I think all of these people have merit for kind of different reasons diggins the 10k if you're gonna isolate a single female performance i think i'd probably have to agree that that's that is the everything came together on the most important day in an event that um the interval start right where you're racing against yourself and others and the clock it's it's the most beautiful event in cross-country skiing if you if you could win a gold in any that's that's the one that like to some degree, you're the best skier then. You're the best distance skier, for sure. Um, so performance of the year, yeah. Female performer of the year, I think that win kind of puts her in the conversation, but I don't think it's enough. I think Tierra Unis Vang, the fact that she took the reins in the women's circuit, had that um, had the leader's bib, and then held it for the overall Crystal Globe, one that was, was not expected, and then coming from, obviously, the criticism – that the Norwegians felt after the retirement of Therese Johag, um, or Therese Johag, I think, I think that makes that the, she's the, the female athlete of the year. Um, but Slind to me comes into the conversation because you could argue that her having such an amazing world cup season, uh, Almost winning, she should have won the Holman Cullen. And, and honestly, if Slind wins the Holman Cullen 50K, I think it's different. I think this award goes to Slind hands down. But because she didn't see, was it Ronald Haga? Who was another Norwegian who came? And then Diggins, you know, right there as well. But but that was Slind's race, and she coughed it up. And I feel like it was almost a mental error. Like, she did not know that it was that tight. She couldn't see... Um, 
Uh, I got to look up now. Otherwise, I'm just going to be spreading false information. Yes, it was Haga by three-tenths of a second over Slind. Um, <clears throat> I think Slind, because she also had such incredible success on the Ski Classics circuit, this is this unique thing we haven't seen before is someone bridging that gap between the, quote, well, when I use the word traditional, it's almost not even the right thing because you could argue that the Ski Classics is it's, is the most traditional thing, but it's been kind of hijacked by the double pole technique. So is that really traditional? We'll just say World Cup skiing and marathon loppet racing. She's standing there doing both at the highest level in a very unique season, in a championship season. And then, you know, on top of that, she's older. And so her performances, even if she had none of the Ski classic stuff happening, people would be saying, wow, this is such an incredible resurrection of the career. So that's why I put her in that conversation. It's really difficult. I think, again, Holman Cullen, if she wins that, she's the hands-down winner of this. Uh, Vang, though, but just she outlasted everyone. And and Ebba Anderson I put in this discussion because, to be honest, I think she was the best skier when she raced. Um, I guess I'd have to look up the numbers, but it sure seems like when Ebba Anderson was on the starting line for a distance race, people did not stand a chance. And and the world championships, um, you know, the one thing I guess that adds merit to Jesse Diggins win, if we go back and look at her world championships 10K, let me just pull this up, Planitza. Um, the thing to me that added so much weight to that was Ebba Anderson was in that race. Ebba got third, she took the bronze, but um, she also you know, had a little bit more of a focus on the skiathlon and just absolutely destroyed everyone on that. So you could kind of argue that she she wasn't maybe as energized. And then I think there's some drama going on in the Swedish wax truck as well, uh, as far as worlds go. So how much of a difference that makes? Like, I know the Americans were thrilled about what they were able to provide for Jesse when she, oh sorry Diggins when she won that uh, I'm not going to do the first name thing I can't do that we it, she's not my sister <laughs> she's not my girlfriend so Diggins um they they gave her great skis that day and I'm not so sure about the Swede, the Swedes I think they were complaining about it and so maybe that's kind of a Scandinavian thing if they're not like blowing everyone out of the water then they think they had terrible skis it would be interesting to know I really wish I could know that like definitively as an athlete like you know, wow. Okay. So those guys get not the best skis for once in their life and they are complaining like crazy and get third. I mean, it's just, it's one of those elements of the sports that of, of the sport that is so, um, kind of unknown to the fans. And I think we can't really tell how much of a role it plays sometimes, but we know it plays a role. So that's where Ebba's in there. She can't win this award because, you know, she just wasn't racing enough, but it's kind of one of those things. It's like you look at Ebba Anderson, you go, when are you going to go for, the the overall globe like when are you going to put everything in and just win everything because i think she could she, she you know i think a lot of people think frida carlson is sort of the was the tresio hog waiting in the wings she's gonna be the one to carry that mantle I, i'm not so sure about that i think i think if you look at emma anderson she's gonna be more of the one who's like the distance stalwart she's a little bit of a combination of like tres yohog uh, and diggins in the sense that she she kind of has Diggins like, uh, man, how do I say it's like sort of that, that toughness. Well, I guess Yohog has that too. Honestly, Yohog just kind of was a complete package, right? Incredibly fit, developed the technique and was very tough, you know, from the gun, going to blow everyone apart. 
Um, so maybe that's a bad comparison. But uh, anyway, I think she's more specialized in there. You're not going to see Eva Anderson win a sprint. Frida Carlson, to me, seems more of like the Alexander Bolshinov for, for girls, for women skiing. You know, like she could be a threat in a sprint if it's if she decides to be honestly and and yet sh- there is no weak technique or distance for Frida Carlson so that's very similar I think to to Bolshinov um both of those ladies I guess my prediction going into next year would have to be that I think they they ought to and and hopefully will make next year the year that they put the overall globe as like the prior, you know, the number one priority. There's no world championships, uh, no global championship that they'd be preparing for. So we would expect to see that. So I guess to end that, my, my winner there, I got to, I got to hand it to Vang. She's the performer of the year on the male side. I have Goldberg, Pellegrino and Clabo. This will be quick. I mean, it's Clabo by a mile, 20 wins. And I mentioned this on my last show, 25 months ago or whatever, that those 20 wins, um, that's, on the one hand, the fact that it's tied with Yohog is kind of ridiculous. Both of them have, quote, 20 World Cup wins. I think Yohog's had had 16, and then there were three, no, 17 plus three tour wins. Like the, t- the Tour de Ski counted as a win. The Ruka one counted as a win. There was a season-ending tour that counted as a win. Clabo only got the Tour de Ski one to count as a win. So really, he had 19 wins to Yohog's 17 wins. Um, so in that in that sense, I think you, you know this this isn't comparable. Like Clabo's record is more amazing, but in the other sense, you know I'd have to go back and look at the competition she's facing. But there was no Russia Ukraine ban, um, and so how much does that kind of downsize this? I think it's significant, particularly significant when you consider how good the Russians are right now. Uh, there's no way Clabo wins 20 races if Bolshinov is in that field. He maybe wins 12 times. Uh, 13 if he's you know 13 to 15 maybe if it's like a really hot streak um so yeah I think I think uh, he still wins this award by a mile though and speaking of these end of season awards you know um I think I think it's not it does not behoove us to grow this sport when we say things like let's have a non-clabo male athlete of the year award no that's ridiculous Clabo is the greatest of all time. He wins this award. If he wins it 10 years in a row, we'll give it to him 10 times in a row. Like we're not going to go that way. And, and I also, you know, I think it, on the American side, if we wanted to really drill into, let's look at who the domestic skiers of the year, um, which we, we maybe should do that. You know, we maybe should be looking at that. I'm not so much a fan of going like, okay, Diggins is the obvious one on the women's side. So let's pull around and then have a discussion. No, that's stupid. Like they don't do that in other sports. If you're the MVP by a mile, we laud you for your MVP heroics. And then we can talk about what other athletes are on the way up. What ones could, could threaten is Diggins going to be able to continue doing this? Well, how long will she be able to be the face of you, of us skiing, you know, like, but don't rob that. I think, you know, she's the best. And so she's the best domestic skier on the men's side. Ogden had the best performances um, on the men's side. There wasn't really uh, someone else that could come in and steal that that from him. Now, you know, if we were to to look at both really quickly on uh, the domestic side, just my gut. I didn't didn't do any show prep for this, and I know you guys are driving down on your way to the lake or whatever, listening to this. And you're like, she doesn't do show prep for anything. What is going on? But I think domestically, um, you know. Ben was certainly the headliner and every week, you know, I think ski fans, they they felt this energy of 
is he gonna, is this going to be the week where he you know can make it into the finals get on the podium we need this and 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 um he was scoring points consistently across all these other events so at the same time that he wasn't delivering on this podium promise kind of a thing which it's not like he promised it but that's what we were feeling as fans like we deserved this <laughs> um he was piling up these points and winning that green bib is is kind of actually a much more amazing thing that has gone somewhat unnoticed by some people. I know, you know, other Nordic outlets have, have recognized it. We probably haven't done a very good job of saying like how big of a deal that is. But when you consider like Porima's in there, right. Um, you know, that alone makes it pretty significant. So Ben, great all around performances. The one thing is there's nothing on his resume. I don't think that would stick out and have him be like, even in front of a guy like Andy Newell, you know, uh, Simi Hamilton, those guys who are still, you know, some fans of the sport, they sort of look down on that generation, I think, of men as not really getting stuff done. And and I think, like, you know, if if Newell or Hamilton in their prime were on this men's team, they'd still be the best. They'd be the best skiers, I think, on the team. If you took, you know, um, Chris Freeman in his prime or um, Noah Hoffman in his prime and put them in too. I think those guys would still be the guys you'd be like, all right, he's my guy in this distance race or whatever. So, you know, there, there's always the, the drumming up of, we've got this young core guys team. That's exciting. It is true, but they, they need to make that year three jump that Tracy McGrady took with the Orlando magic, right? You, you ought to follow me on this. They need to make the, the jump from being promising young talents to definitively better than the people who have came before them. Um, and that that's, I think, what we are looking to see. And it is also why, if you wanted to debate, is Ben Ogden really the best guy, you know, had the best season on the U.S. guys' side? I'd, be, I'd actually be open for the debate there, but I just don't know, like, <clears throat> what credentials you're going to really argue argue from. You know, maybe maybe Scott Patterson in, in certain areas, but uh, on the women's side, you know, this is a classic... Diggins, yeah, she's the obvious won a world championship gold. How can you not pick her? But look at how good of a season Rosie Brennan had too. Um, and and yeah, that's that's sports, that's life. It's a it's a great luxury that they have right now. They've got those two stalwarts that are are really amazing. And I think we have another year, maybe another two years of this. So the question now becomes, you know, Julia Kern appears to be making this jump into being someone that we can count on sort of as as making all the sprint finals and and the 10k distance i think suited her or the the 20k 5k thing like uh what am i even saying (laughs) the new distances i don't even remember what the new distances are but but anyway the new distances actually that's on my list of things we got to talk about um because it was in the fis um their little may committee meetings but but i think Kern is well suited for where World Cup skiing is headed. That's maybe the best way of saying it. Where there's this major emphasis on sprints, there is almost no emphasis on like 50k. Um, the interval start 50k is never coming back, despite all of the people on Facebook who are posting that they want that back. Um, and and so having kind of a shorter distance type race and more mass starts made for TV fun. Uh, Kern is, is she could contend with that. You know, she has to continue to improve her gamesmanship, continue to improve her overall fitness too. Like she needs some of that old man strength, I think, when it comes to distance stuff. You know, you see that in someone like a Diggins. You see it in like a Pat in Scott Patterson as well. You know, the ability to 
be tough over the course of a long race. We haven't seen that consistently from Julia Kern. There, there's been moments, flashes where you go, maybe she really could be, you know, an okay distance skier too, kind of like this all around skier. And so we, we still need more of that. But she's she is in headed in the right trajectory, I think. Um, and then beyond that, Novi McCabe, we didn't really get to see everything that she could do. Sophia Laukley, we know she is probably the fittest athlete on this team. So the question is, can she become, can she, can she close the gap to being something in between Delphine Claudel and Therese Johag? That's the best Sophia Laukley I think that we can have is there's probably no chance she's going to reach a, um, the legendary status that Johag would have, but she is in that mold and she needs to get, um, she needs to get strong you know she needs to like when you look at yohag it's it's crazy like she she just is so wiry strong i would i've never seen her like lift weights or work out but i have no doubts that she's that she's that person who could like go to the weight room do 20 pull-ups body weight no problem and she's she's just like totally lean right every single part of her body is made for skiing and um she puts pound for pound muscle muscle strength power to weight ratio is perfect and um when you when you think about Laukley, you're like well yeah she's she's someone who is naturally dis- has a disposition for climbing you know given her her running expertise and that she's a skier now i think she just needs to to like what they what they do for nfl players when they come into the league for the first time and they've got some of that raw talent and then they they give them the you know kind of I, I already used the, the old man strike, so I can't really use that again, but more like you, you pack on some of that muscle muscle mass and the muscle that, that kind of makes you able to do it. In the ski sense, it would be that with Laukley, where like her technique in climbing, her V2 technique, everything is polished and she's strong enough to be, she's strong enough to utilize her aerobic strength at any distance for the entire distance. That's, I think, where I'm probably most getting at. Her engine right now is stronger than the rest of her skiing capabilities. So if she can grow into that, she's going to be phenomenal. Um, yeah, I think I think McCabe and Laukley in some ways are the future of the team. And if they blossom into stars, like people will be jacked about U.S. skiing for a long time. And if they don't, I think we're in a we're in like a season of potential hurt because. When Brennan and Diggins are gone, um, and that will be right around the time, uh, likely, I think, that like you, you maybe see Grover and Wickham, you know, they might retire too. All of a sudden, you're you're closing out this chapter in our skiing history, and you're not really leaving you, leaving it with anyone else. So the the st- the young stars of today that have not really broken out, it, they have a massive um, responsibility right now to like figure stuff out and make those steps if they want to do it with Brennan and Diggins there to kind of mentor them. You know, otherwise it's going to be those, those, those athletes retire and okay, your turn, you know? So that, that's, I think a little bit of a state of it end of year awards. I know we kind of capturing all of it right there. Male uh, race of the year. I have Pellegrino taking down Clabo. That was epic. Goldberg takes down Clabo in the 50 K. That was tragic. Uh, Kruger dismantles the skiathlon field at the world championships. Um, you know, originally I wrote down that Kruger one thinking I got to have a third one. And then I really liked that one. I was like, that was, that was fun to see him 
just in his element, and he's such a beautiful skate skier. It was really cool to see. Um, but you know, I'll have to go back and listen to some other shows where I rant about it because that race in general, I think, was like, Clabo, what are you doing? You're toying, you're messing this up. You maybe could have won this event. Of course, we don't have Bolshinov there. That would have made this a thousand times more exciting. Just imagine that World Championship skiathlon with the Russians in there with with uh, Bolshinov. I mean, it just it would have been so cool. Um, so I don't know if I can give give that one. I I think it's hard to it's hard to beat the Pellegrino taking down Clabo. You know, it became a soundbite even on the Cedar Skier podcast. So how can we not not use that one? I don't think we can. That's my male race um, of the year. Female race of the year, Diggins, 10K gold, Holman Cullen, 50K, and Ebba Anderson wins a skiathlon. I'll check out the skiathlon with Ebba. That was, an, again, another incredible display of dominance, but it wasn't that exciting. Um, Diggins, incredibly wire-to-wire, you know, 100% max effort kind of performance, a dream day for her dream day for American fans, but it's a little bit overplayed in terms of that. I mean, it's great. I, I think sometimes we, we we have to balance as fans this idea that what we're experiencing with Diggins is very rare, and so you should cherish it. You might not get it again, you know, but there's also this idea that we sort of hold her up on this pedestal of like, she's the one trailblazing. So if, if, the, if that's true, then, well, we should be expecting performances like this to continue. So this is just the first. Um, and fans kind of do this dumb thing, this dance where they're kind of trying to hold both of those things. Like, you got to respect Diggins. She's, this is so special. This is, this might not happen for 30 more years. And, and then at the same time being like half of her identity is she is now making that seem possible for many more young women. So, and that's nothing on Diggins. It's more of a fan thing. I have a problem with honestly is there's a little bit too much of this idolization pedestal pedestalization when it comes to Diggins. And, um, I think, you know, we need to just kind of like cover it like normal people to some degree, but that that sort of adds into for me anyway a level of kind of almost it's like it's like when you put too much sugar into your cornflakes in the morning you know like it was it was really sweet but it's just too much it's too much the Holman Cohen 50k on the other hand had a little bit of the too much sugar because everyone's going berserk about how this is the first time women are doing 50K. And yeah, we're going to show all you journalist pundits out there who think that um, if a woman tries to ski 50K, they're not going to you know, live to see the next day. Yes, that's what many people believe. But so it had a little bit of that, okay, eye roll, shrug shoulders. But it also just really delivered. Like the women's race particular was thrilling and and that I will give Diggins all the credit for honestly because you know if she, if, if if she is replaced by someone else as a fan I'm not as engaged the fact that Jesse Diggins could have won that race was so cool um I'm really happy she didn't win the race but I'm mad that Slynn didn't win it and the reason I say that is because I think it's good for Diggins career here too to to not grab everything all at once I know she's had an incredible career it's been long and and she has got you know first gold medal first individual Olympic medal last time um and in a great 30k you know um mass start or whatever in Beijing then this world championship individual gold was big she, she's been a part of every single breakthrough moment you know and if she had gotten this Holman Cohen one it's like okay now everything sort of the confluence of all this nebula it's like this supernova explosion that would have happened in the Nordic ski 
galaxy and we all would have perished from trying to watch it you know um i'd rather I'd rather her not have that and then standing up championing the whole like um kind of unnecessary movement in some ways that that we see with like the women's equal distances i thought it was a little bit overplayed to some degree and especially without the support of a lot of the nations um, it just would have been too much hoopla for me. And instead, she delivered on really a, this exciting race. Now, the thing that was just annoying was it would have been sweet to see Slind win this because, um, you know, I guess it's a win for the double polars. That, uh, that, that's why. That's pretty much the only reason why. So, yeah, to see her come in here and take a 50K skate, to me, would have just been one of those sweet moments. Um, and, and we could have remembered her special year. I guess, you know, as I say all those things, part of me goes it would have been perfect to have Diggins be the first 50k winner and maybe I already said that on another show but I don't know we got to create content somehow right so um that's the race of the year Holman Cullen 50k now let's get to the let's get to the great oh best moment of the year Norwegian women's team wins relay Ogden breaks apart sprint field Pellegrino tears up about kid Porima gives the middle finger to the fist camera okay that, that last one was nuts. I thought that was kind of weird when I saw that highlight. Is this for real? Um, Pellegrino tearing up about his kid the post-race interview. That was pretty cool. We kind of covered that special moment. I'm not going to give him the double Grammy award here. Um, Ogden breaking apart the sprint field. Again, that's one of those moments that maybe 10, 20 years from now, if we see like, let's just say 20 years from now, three sprinters from the U.S. go one, two, three at an Olympics. Okay, We'll say it's the 20... 48 Minneapolis Olympics, you know, on home soil. Then we will look back and go, what was the moment of the century? Because at that point, Klabo is enshrined. He's got 215 career World Cup wins. There's no question of his dominance. Um, he won 25 um, gold medals, 15 World Championship gold medals. He, he His career lasted so long. He won seven straight sprint World Championships. Um, someone keep track of this because if it happens, it'd be amazing. Uh, <clears throat> he went to the Wiesmuski Classics and won the Birkin and the Vassalopit in the same year. First person to do that. Actually, I don't know if that's true. There's probably been a couple people who've done that. No, he becomes the first guy to, to do all the four majors. Um, and then he goes into golf and wins those four majors. So if that were to happen, we'd look back and go, who is the guy who told us that this was possible? It was Benny Ogden. And that breakaway moment was huge. But this year, yeah, I think, you know, the best the best moment is obviously that Norwegian win in the women's relay. It was so unexpected. The Swedes were so heavily favored. You've got the Swedish-Norwegian drama there that is significant at a world championship, so it's more significant. And then the Norwegians are, you know, no one, no one believes in them. So... Yeah, that was sweet. It was it was awesome. For sure. That's my win. Best Sport Hill slow-mo of the year. Feed Zone Guy launches bottle across four rows to moving Porima target. Just love my notes how I wrote this out. That was amazing. It was amazing. Okay. When he hit Porima in the feed zone, just chucked he chucked a water bottle across four lanes. I mean, I've never seen anything like that in all of sports it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. The, the other one that comes to mind is Antonio Freeman 
catching the football on Monday Night Football in 2001 after it fell on his back and he fell on the ground. A Minnesota Viking swatted it out of midair, swatted it directly onto Freeman's back. Freeman rolled over, picked it up, ran into the end zone for an overtime winning touchdown, and it took away home field advantage for the Vikings, and we ended up losing the NFC title game to the Giants, and I believe home field advantage would have changed everything. That was maybe the other sporting moment that I, I could compare this to. Um, I think that's going to be my win, but the other ones are Rosie Brennan hits the deck. That fall was pretty crazy too. When Brennan fell, it was like, I mean, they were going so fast. You know, that's the, that's the thing that, that sticks out to you. And it was also a really strange part of the course and the camera angle added to this where, you know, it, it, it was this steep downhill and then this like horseshoe and back up. And it, it kind of looked like a course that like the Fargo Parks and Rec Department would have designed you know, at the dike down by the Red River and like, yeah, we're going to send the five-year-olds down this and then they're going to swoop back so the parents can get a picture and we don't want to send them over that bridge because then we would, that'd be too much work. So we'll just swoop them down and back up. It was like, you picture little Susie May pigtails and all like, you know, having the time of her life right in this pack, but there's way too many kids grouped up. The pack is way too thick and, and she just, slams into the ground and and if you are Susie Mae's uncle standing on the far corner like this camera was you go I seriously don't know if she is still alive someone needs to check and that is kind of what I thought when I saw Brennan hit the deck I was like oh my gosh I mean half of me literally half of me was like oh this stinks right because this is her race she's gonna take it and now this happens oh but the other half was genuinely I was concerned. And so when she got back up and like, I think her ski, you know, parts of it ended up in Venezuela. Like it it just shattered. Then, then she's running back in. She finished that race. I thought that was amazing that she finished the race, but yeah, the clip was pretty, it was intense. And if you haven't seen it now, you're probably going to be disappointed when you look it up, but I thought it was good. Oh, junior nationals, national, uh, JN national. Wow. Redundant here. Fish Reel Celebration. Don't know who this kid was. I did hear from a photographer, however, that this photographer I spoke with did not like this kid, um, apparently. So one of the JN races, this is a boys race, I believe in the U16 division, but I'm not positive on that. And he, he was the sprint winner. He won by a lot. And he like flipped as he's coming in through the home stretch of the sprint. Okay. This is how much ahead he was. He flips his pole around and points it up like a fishing rod and then reels it in the finish line. I just thought that was the sweetest thing ever. Maybe this is something that Nordic skiers have been doing for decades, but that was pretty cool. Um, and, you know, there's a little bit of a the, the personal family touch here for me is, you know, my father-in-law is a big-time fisherman, hunter, you know, trapper, that kind of guy. I'm the guy who is self-conscious about putting on tight-fitting lycra and short shorts and training all the time so to see both of our passions come together in a celebration was amazing and and i i also again if it's if it's original it it is original then then i really give them extra props for that i thought it's cool is it showboating absolutely this was way over the top you know like if this guy is going to first baptist church of leadville i'm pulling him into the other room probably you know at confirmation and going son we need to talk but this is fun too. This would have been great if it would have been backyard football, you know, just 
couple buddies get together, it is on the chance stage. So I understand if some parents were like, oh my gosh, a little bit of showboating here. But maybe that's what we need too to get in under the Norwegian skin, you know, and get ourselves a foothold in the competitive realm. I'm not sure. Oh, wow. This one might contend. My last one on the Sport Hill slow-mo of the year brought to you by Sport Hill. I've been using Sport Hill products ever since I was a runner in Fargo, North Dakota, which has won the Weather Channel's worst weather at least once, maybe twice. I don't know. It's been a lot of times. It's one of the worst weather, the worst weather. It's the worst. Um, And <clears throat> here it is. Dog wanders onto homing colon course, peers into the eyes of Kruger. Uh, yeah, I took a slow or a screenshot of this, put it on Facebook because I thought it was great. This dog, and um, as I'm watching the Holman Cohen, I remember thinking, this dog in the screen appears to be on the course, but it has to be, you know, one of those like the eyes are playing tricks on you or whatever. And then here comes the mass of men and Kruger on the outside. And like, he like looks right at this dog who is probably a 12 year old golden retriever. He was definitely one of those dogs who like couldn't hear the people coming. And then even when they came, he's so old, he wasn't even startled by it. He's like, you know, just like an old man is too, right? Whatever. You know, these people can, it's, I'm doing me now. Okay. I'm at that stage of my life. I can do whatever I want. That is what this dog had, but they Kruger and the dog shared a glance Oh man, this is uh, this is tough. I mean, I think it's hard for me because the dog's not going to have another year. As much as I love the phrase, "There's always next year." It's a state tournament, Shovel Lake enshrined phrase for all time. Uh, I can tell that story another time. But as much as I like that, this dog might not get another year. You know, it's probably it could be dead now, but can it make it to another Holman Cohen? Are there is there a chance that it could be at the top of that hill again? Probably not. So there's a part of me that goes, this is his Carl Malone last moment, last hurrah. But um, you know, it's just not as amazing as the Pornoma thing. So that's my winner, best moment, or I'm sorry, best. It, it could be the best moment of the year too, honestly, in this World Cup season. That was insane. Um, <clears throat> quote of the year. Well, this one, there's there's two candidates, but I'm not even going to read both of them. I'll just read the one. The best quote of the year was Ben Ogden saying that he listens to the Cedar Skier podcast. Um, I don't need to play the clip. You've heard it a million times because we play it in a lot of our show intros. But saying that he listens to the podcast and that he likes it, that's the quote of the year right there. Because, I mean, let's face it, for some people... This is the daily wire of the Nordic Ski Podcast realm. And if you're listening to this and you're kind of a New York Times, New Yorker guy, and you thought, you, you thought, what am I doing? You're like, calm down, okay? We're not, we're not gonna, we're not like, we aren't the daily wire, but like relative to some of the other ones, I think people come here because they want the hard hitting truth and uh, no holds barred. And Ben Ogden apparently likes that. He likes, he likes the flavor that we give. And we like him too. We we think he's great. And he was one of our first guests in season one. Might have been the first. No, Zach Caldwell was the first guest. But Ben was in there like after his sophomore year at at UVM. Um, and so yeah, he's he's a cool dude. Great guest. And when he said he liked the podcast, that was the quote of the year. But it's not the preposterous statement of the year. We've got that coming up right after the break here on Shovel Lake Public Radio. You're listening to the Cedar Skier Podcast. Thumb in the shape of an L on a forehead. Well, the 
All right, well, we're back here on the show, Shovel Lake Public Radio, broadcasting to you live, 10,000 feet, you know, here we are. Um, and Novi has now woken up. It's, I know, partway through the show, sorry these things happen, and I can tell right away I had way too much show prep for an hour, and you might be saying you could have raced through all these things, you'd have to talk about that stuff, but that's part of the, that's part of the fun, it's part of the show, so... I guess we've got content saved up for next time as well. But we know everyone's been coming to the show to find out who won the preposterous statement tournament of the year. Uh, and and before I give out the award winner here, because <clears throat> before I give it out, I, I want to throw this out there that next year we need to save these clips as they happen. So as you're watching, whether it's Peacock, Ski and Snowboard.live, whatever it ends up being, um, if you follow on the Euro broadcast, if you watch Ski Classics, everyone who comments on skiing, it could be Junior Nationals on up, I don't care. If you can catch an audio clip, it could be an ESPN guy talking about skiing too, by the way. That would definitely work as well. Um, it could be a tweet, something written. We want to collect as many as possible, and we want to have them in real time. So next year, let's make it Pitchfork Nations like primary goal to find audio clips of the most preposterous statements that are said regarding skiing Uh, and you know listen to those podcasts out there as well other ones i know there's extra blue threshold the fast the devin kershaw show all those things would be fair game would be great great gold mines to go and try and find the next preposterous statement tournament winner but anyway alas here we go I only had a couple of nominations, and I had to self-nominate these things. Unfortunately, we didn't get any um, things that came in. Wait, no, rewind that, Ajay. Okay, are we are we recording it now again? We received 15,000, more than 15,000, and I'm using my Donald Trump hands right now to make see, you know, it was, it was huge. Um, the submissions of preposterous statements, there were, there were too many to handle, but we've narrowed them down to the two best ones we have. And so this first one, um, is kind of a, it's not really a great preposterous statement. I'm not thrilled about it, even though the committee narrowed it down as one of the top two. I, and the reason I'm not as thrilled about it is because it's, it's a translation. So we, it could have been lost in translation. This could, this person could actually make that argument. This comes from none other than Johannes Husflit Klabo. And this was a story in Longren.com from December 3rd. Klabo gives up the World Cup altogether. That's the headline. Um, and Klabo has won four to five World Cup races so far this season. Now he gives up the overall victory in the World Club in the World Cup. Um, here it goes. On Saturday, Klabo crushed the competitors in the World Cup sprint in Lillehammer. Shortly afterwards, he announces that he is giving up on taking the overall victory of the World Cup this season. And then his quote, again, lost in translation, I've given up the opportunity to win the World Cup overall when I did not start yesterday. Now I do not see it as an opportunity anymore. <laughs> uh, and then later... Uh, oh, and this is actually, this is hilarious. This Again, lo- this is totally lost in translation, but this might be the preposterous statement of the entire story. The next line says, the reason is that he cannot stand cross-country skiing. Love it. Klabo stood over the sprint during the season opener at Bidestolen. He then ran 
all the runs during the World Cup opening in Ruka last weekend, but on Friday, he again had to stand over the 10-kilometer distance in the World Cup in Lillehammer, so he sat out that distance. And here's the quote, it's, a he- it's hectic on weekend too, but you can't stand not going skiing. Yesterday, I couldn't go, and then the World Cup is all over, says Klabo. Klabo went on, now part of the, the fun of making this preposterous, obviously, is that he went on to win a record 20 World Cup races, including the first six at the Tour to Ski, the Tour to Ski, which might just be the most amazing accomplishment right there. If you if you're being honest, to win six straight at the Tour to Ski to open it, uh, he also won the overall globe and the sprint globe. His overall globe win, he had 2,715 points. Second place, Paul Goldberg, 2,243 points, and third place, Federico. Pellegrino with 1,635, an absolute dismantling of the entire field. So, Johannes was for Clabo. There's your nomination number one for the preposterous statement uh, tournament of the year. And then number two, coming at you courtesy of the Ski Classics. Oh, man, here it is. <laughs> the women will be taking on next towards uh, 14Ks. It's a great thing, isn't it, Tammy, about ski classics is you can't take your eye off it for a moment really the way things are set up there's always something going on and in the context of this race now uh, they are readying themselves after that bit of sprint action to uh, take on the last of the iconic climbs perhaps one of the perhaps the toughest climb of the whole winter the one up to water which they will uh, begin to take on carolina Hedenstrom, we've uh, been a look at her uh, winter how consistent she's been in winning the pink youth bib looking at her results there and uh, Emily Flitton there as well on the outside, a track all of her own. Now just coming back into the pack of things here, steadying themselves. Is yeah, the problem there? Interesting. Yeah, I just wondered there, Tammy. I was going to ask that you picked anything up on that. Uh, I'm not too sure, but she was shouting. So let's break this down just a little bit. We are in, this is uh, 20 minutes into the penultimate race in the Ski Classics, I believe. Right a slope it. Um, so ski classics, right? 12, 13 races, actually 15 events, long distance, everything from 40 K up through seven ninety K, right? If you're the Vassalopit, um, pretty much exclusively the double pole technique. And I think the commentator here, he's understanding that he may have, dug himself a hole just a little too deep right off the bat ski classics is you can't take your eye off it for a moment really the way things are set up there's always something going on and in the context of this race now you see he he says and he he even laughs at himself and then he's like and and in the context what i meant he's already trying to give context to his preposterousness which is a, a telltale sign that the actual statement itself is utterly preposterous and um then they continue here uh, I'm not too sure, but she was shouting. She was uh, asking for something, but I'm not too sure what. And what is happening right there is one of the one of the racers in the top ten pulled off to the side and started yelling at the person in the snowmobile and pointing at their ear. And what they were trying to communicate is that my head is cold, my ears are cold because it's cold outside, and I'm skiing in the middle of winter in the middle of nowhere. And that's this is actually probably one of the more exciting things that had happened in the race to that point. <laughs> There she is. And the commentators are trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, make it up, but she's saying something. (laughs) Can't hear it too well. 
reporting. Ah. Okay. She What's needs a hat. Here we're being told. Yeah. 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 Probably well, you did, you, did you, you, you did mention Tamu. It's very very cold <laughs> here as well. And uh, Emily, Emily wants a bit of uh, and windy. protection for her head there. Yeah, very windy out very there windy, as well. Yeah. It's a long way to long way to go in the race as well. So uh, yeah, wants a hat there to uh, to warm up a little bit as well. Emily Fletton at the moment from Team Ramadan as they prepare to. Uh... Now we should you should know Samuel Vertinen, excellent uh, commentator, extraordinary, incredible skier. He was a uh, the last guest on the Sears Gear podcast, former world record holder for most distance skied in twenty four hours. So he's the absolute man, right? We're we're having a good time here by. Uh, joshing the double pole, right? I'm the double pole. Uh, <laughs> there's no one more obsessed with double pole, like probably around here doing it, finds more enjoyment doing such a basic technique than I do, at least in this general vicinity. So we're having some fun here, but it is kind of crazy how, if you look at this, you could also think that, um, Emily or was that, was it Emil, Emil, Emily, uh, she asking for a hat is also kind of preposterous. You are, in the ski classic, skiing over a massive mountain in Norway, you know, in a race that will take at least two hours, and you decided to go without a headband? Like, how how hard is it to rip off the headband at some point? So we're 20 minutes in, so she she must not have started with one, unless, I don't know, Rosie Brennan mugged her or something and took hers, but that's not likely. So you started this race without one. I mean, I don't know. I think, now I've done some races where, I have I've felt hot like the Frisco Gold Rush is notoriously the last every year I I've done it it's been like really sunny and it starts at ten it's always really hot and so I've done that in just my bib and or um, a t shirt under my bib in the two times I've done it really the lightest pants I have and I've been if anything even on the a little on the warm side anyway but uh, headband one time I think one time I did not go with anything on my head but it was a lap so I could I could get something and I was only twenty k too so. But anyway, back to this. This is this really is two or maybe even three preposterousness moments when you consider that he says, you know, what he says about the ski classics, there's always something to look out for. It's just as if this is the equivalent of, you know, I don't know, what what would be the short like the NFL, right? Where there's every play is eight seconds long, you're you're watching a bunch of different things, there's always something happening. Um these are long marathon ski races. You're already talking about a niche crowd with a niche sport and then a very niche technique now that's done it. So you guys all get that. You get the preposterousness of that, but then also the fact that we have a skier here in a situation that is without a hat and a sport that is a winter sport. And then to top it all off, kind of those two together, you you have someone say, the, you know, Look at how exciting this sport is. There's always something happening. And the thing that the very next thing that happens is a skier pulls out to the side and yells at the camera person like, hey, can you tell the people ahead? I'm going to need a hat at my next rest stop, like or at the next feed station or whatever. I, I thought you can't beat it. And I was lucky because I was doing this as I was Urkelina training, which you, you can't you can almost that in and of itself, that activity staring at a wall, pulling down cables for 90 minutes might be the most preposterous thing that anyone does, you know, on this planet to some as far as exercise goes. So anyway, that's the winner, I think. Hands down, my preposterous statement of the year goes to the Ski Classics crew. Uh, we have to get a name on on uh, the broadcast. By the way, he's, he's 10 times a broadcaster. I am, obviously. But, you know, I thought it was funny. Thought it, we'll, we'll pick it out. There's always next year, though. 
Uh, Tamu could utter something, or one of us could utter something. Who knows? Keep your eyes and ears peeled, people, because surely there will be some preposterousness happening. Well, I am now an almost an hour and a half in, and I'm feeling bad because, yeah, so much show prep here. I had some news stories I wanted to get to, and as I read off, we're going to save this stuff for our next show because a lot, has, a lot has been happening in the world of ski news. We've got um, four big stories, really, I think. Klabo leaving the national team, the Norwegian national team, deciding to go at it on his own. Um, we got to discuss the recent decision by Fist to ban Russians. What do we think about that? Also, the Fist games. What in the heck is this thing? It was apparently supposed to show up in 2024. It's been pushed off to 2028. So are we going to have a third global championship to keep track of? We might. We're going to talk about that on our next show, as well as wrap up some of the key decisions in the Ski Congress uh, that recently uh, took place here. Fist is Ski Congress, annual Ski Congress. We read through some of the documents. We went to work for you. You know, we're undercover journalists here. and We've we found some things that were a little interesting, actually. You might find them interesting as well. And actually, one thing is very spicy, so I, I'll have to bring that up. And it's not anything that's been covered uh, in the FIST press releases. So I had to find this in the actual Congress booklet, some communications that we're a little bit stunning, shocking. I'm not really sure what to think, but we're going to talk about that. Um, so opinions on all of those major stories. Uh, also, ski distances at championships, the relay possibly being moved to a 4 by 75 k distance. Is that, is that utterly preposterous that they could ruin the tradition like that? Some other news bites we got to get to. The French team coaching change. Uh, they basically fired their biathlon coach and then hired... Uh, the cross-country team hired him, so that's going to be kind of interesting. We'll talk about that. We've got more listener emails to get to as well. And also, of course, you know, we're going to be chatting about what, what the, what's up in American skiing, the Ben camp. We want to discuss what we thought about that, where they're at. Um, I have a few other rants to get to because why not? I have to discuss about are Nordic skiers really the true type A people or why do type A people always end up Nordic skiing? instead of other sports, the answer might surprise you. Um, and I have some other columns to read, some th- stories from State Track, and we have a gone but not forgotten. We lost uh, one of the longtime legends in the sport of cross-country skiing from Finland, so we're going to get to that. And finally, we'll wrap up next week's show with a little bit of Book Corner. I've been reading some books, and I've got some things. Some are ski-related, some are not, but we'll try our very best to apply all of them to skiing. So, that's going to be happening on the next Cedar Skier podcast episode. When are we When are we dropping it? We're not really sure. I mean, our life is kind of crazy, but um, we don't want to let this one sit too far because we've already planned it. That's the hard part anyway. The easy part is click and record and, and just yapping away. So we're glad that you joined us here for this show. Hopefully you had a good time. You can always shoot us an email at cedarskier at gmail.com. That's all lowercase S-E-D-E-R-S-K-I-E-R at gmail.com that's where you can hit us up send us your comments i think you can comment actually if you're listening to this podcast on google pod podcast apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast we're also on iheart iheart radio as well because we're big time you know so we're happy that you you could join us and listen so stay tuned next time uh wherever you are hopefully the training is starting but don't forget to keep on striving and keep on skiing Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed She 
looking kind of